Let all the angels of God worship him. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He is called the Lord of hosts, because all the hosts of heaven worship him and obey him. Please look at Luke chapter 24 with me to open this sermon. Luke 24. The Lord Jesus Christ has been walking with two on their way to Emmaus. And he opened the scriptures to them and their hearts burned. Do you know the feeling? It says in verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then he revealed himself to them at supper, and he disappeared. And they returned immediately to Jerusalem in verse 33, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with him. And they said, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they exchanged news that they had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 36 tells us, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Do you know how wonderful that moment would have been? Do you read the scriptures to find little expressions like this and feel the wonder in your soul and delight in the wonder in your mind and delight in the Lord Jesus Christ showing himself alive to his disciples and followers after his resurrection? And he ate with them. And spirits don't eat. He ate with them. It's one of the infallible proofs that he was indeed risen from the dead. And this is the verse I want, verse 44. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And I want to focus on those words right there in the Psalms, because I want to take a few minutes with you and introduce to you the Messianic Psalms. I'm not going to take any Psalm and spend much time on it, but I want to just get you excited about around 25 Messianic Psalms. And some of those in the 25 will be less dense than others, but they are about the Messiah. The Messiah is the Hebrew word found twice in Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks were determined until Messiah the Prince it is used twice in the New Testament, John 1.41 and John 4.25, Messiah. And there we are told it is interpreted the Christ. Amen. Right. It means the anointed one. In Hebrew, it's Messiah, the anointed one of God that would deliver Israel. In Greek, it's Christos or the Christ, Jesus Christ, the anointed deliverer sent from God to deliver Israel. There's no greater subject, my dear brethren, in Scripture than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Search the Scriptures to the Pharisees and the Jews, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. They worship the book. They kissed its pages like Roman Catholics do in every church of theirs today. They'll kiss its pages, but they don't keep its words. That's why I started this morning with, If ye love me, ye will keep my words. But the Scriptures declare the Lord Jesus Christ to us. 
which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because it is a mystery that's been revealed to us in the pages of Scripture that God had a son sent to this world 2,000 years ago who tabernacled among men, was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ and it's called the incontrovertibly great mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My brethren, if you came to this second assembly looking for entertainment or even Proverbs wisdom, you'll be disappointed with this topic. This reaches higher than all of them. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be like the Greeks that came to worship at a feast and they ran into Philip. Philip of Bethsaida. And they said to Philip, Sir, we would see Jesus. Amen. They weren't interested in talking with a disciple or an apostle. They wanted to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that that is how you are this morning. If we ever let this subject matter slip, in our souls, in our marriages, in our families, and in our church, then no matter how much truth we might have, we are blind Pharisees. Right. It's a horrible dilemma for us to be caught in if all the truth that God's given us, we get excited about that and are content with that and we forget the Savior of the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ of the truth. I want you to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord has given me great comfort in the last number of days from an obscure Messianic psalm that I'm not even going to give you today for there's far not enough time. It's Psalm 21. But there was so much comfort in that psalm, though it's obscure about the Lord Jesus Christ. And by obscure, I just mean it's looking more at David, more at Solomon. You've got to see past that to see the true emphasis of it for us New Testament Christians. As we approach the Lord's table, let's lift up our hearts and our eyes to see the glory of God's Son. The psalms are for meditation. The psalms are for musing. They're from the heart of the man after God's own heart. They are the most personal, intimate, detailed descriptions of a man's love for his God, praise for his God, thanks for his God, troubles that he brings to his God than any other book in the Bible by far. They're for your meditation. They're for your musing. They're for your worship. They're for your praise. The Bible tells us that if you're merry, then you should sing psalms because there's joyful psalms. There's triumphant psalms, comforting psalms, imprecatory psalms where it's where David is cursing the enemies of the Lord, and there are messianic psalms. We ordinarily go to the New Testament to see the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's greater detail in Psalm 22 than any of the gospel writers put together. Because in Psalm 22, you have 20 verses from the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're writing a history of events that took place. They do not get into the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. They write about sweating as it were great drops of blood. Psalm 22 tells you what he was thinking when he was sweating great drops of blood. Psalm 22 describes the lion around him. Psalm 22 describes the dogs barking at him. Psalm 22 describes the bulls, yea, the strong bulls of Bashan surrounding him. We're not talking about a game in Spain, and it is truly a game with the running of the bulls. We are talking about the bulls of Bashan surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross as men and devils 
tried to overthrow him and his purpose to be the redeemer of his elect. It's all found in the book of Psalms. Psalm 23 is an obscure messianic psalm because it speaks of the shepherd relationship that Jesus Christ has to his people, which is stated clearly in John 10. A messianic psalm is any psalm out of the 150 that talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's quoted in the New Testament. Sometimes it's quoted many times. Sometimes it's only quoted once. Sometimes it may not be quoted in the New Testament, but when you read it, you know its theme is the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are Messianic Psalms. There are some that are clearly more than others. There's 15 that I've marked, explained, applied, showed their quotations and fulfillment in the New Testament that will be in the outline available shortly after this service ends. There's others that deserve honorable mention there in the outline as well that don't make the cut of really pointing out the Lord Jesus Christ. How many can you identify? Now, I gave you five last night, but if I hadn't given you any, and I had explained that a messianic psalm is a psalm that talks about the Messiah, that talks about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, how many would you have known? And you don't have to give me an answer now. I ask the question just to, just to convict you a little and to provoke you a little to learn some of them. I hope you like the five that I gave you. The five that I gave you are almost 100% from first verse to last verse only about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you noticed. They were as dense as the Messianic Psalms get. Psalm 2 and 16 and 45 and 110 in particular. And then there's Psalm 22 that I've already mentioned. How many can you explain why they are messianic? To yourself, to your wife, to your children. What are your favorites? Do you have a favorite? I have a favorite. You, you should know my favorite. It's Psalm 45. But you know, whenever I say that, I have a little pang of conscience because I love Psalm 2. And I love Psalm 22 and I love Psalm 16 and I love Psalm 110. So I'm in trouble with the top five. But 45 is my favorite. I'm so thankful to the Lord about 15 years ago showing me that psalm. I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you when, it, when I discovered it, when I should have known it decades before that. David the king found his greatest joy in the coming king from his family tree, so the psalms are full of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. David, as king, knew about royal authority and knew about enemies of kings as prophet he was intimately aware about his coming son, the king. Remember that David was a prophet and never forget it. That's why we have so many prophecies in the book of Psalms. He was a great king and he was a great servant of God and a great worshiper of God. But his son would be far greater in all of these respects than David ever was. The Psalms show Christ's coming, His incarnation, death, sufferings, resurrection, ascension, gifts, and the day of judgment. And a whole lot more, all in the book of Psalms. Hebrews has the theme of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The 13 chapters of Hebrews in the New Testament has a singular theme, the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Psalms is quoted six times in the first chapter. Does that start to say a little bit to you? And half of all the quotations in the whole book where Paul made many quotations 
from the Old Testament. Half the quotations are from the book of Psalms. The New Testament's quotations from the Old Testament are 40% out of the book of Psalms, though it is only one book out of 39 in the Old Testament. The Psalms are quoted by Jesus himself more than any other Old Testament book, even the book of Isaiah. There are over 100 quotations or references in the New Testament about Jesus Christ taken from the book of Psalms. The Psalms present the person and work of Jesus Christ with enough matter for a biography of his life. And I want to share a little bit of that with you right now. The Son of David is used 16 times in the New Testament to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. My emphasis on David, my emphasis on Jesus as the Son of David, is not a man-made emphasis. He is the Son of David. He is the root and the offspring of David. And your Bible closes with that information. He has the key of David in his hand. He has the authority, the royal authority, to sit at the pinnacle of the kingdom of God from David. The Lord chose to that relationship, and I think the relationship is perfect because the more I study and read about David, I love David. I love his love to praise God. I love his excitement and zeal that he has for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you look at the first verse of my favorite Messianic Psalm, the 45th, it starts off this way. And don't you love this kind of a man? My heart is indicting a good matter. It's all I need to read. I love this man. My heart is indicting a good matter. My heart is dictating terms and things to me right now that are good. It is a great content. It is a great topic. I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. That's David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, being filled with matter about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bursts forth in these 17 verses to describe this great prince that is clothed with glory and majesty, riding forth prosperously with a sword in his hand, destroying his enemies and trampling them under his feet, and coming home and taking off his battle armaments, and putting on his linen clothes, and putting and, and col- col- putting cologne on, and marrying a queen. And it says, The king shall greatly desire thy beauty. And there is nothing beautiful about this guy, and there isn't anything beautiful about you either. But the king shall greatly desire thy beauty. Because he made us beautiful. And he clothed us in raiment of needlework. And we're brought with fair virgins. And we're told, Forget the families that you leave on earth, because I'm going to give you a new family. Rejoice in them. And when it gets to the end, I'll tell you what, I want to fulfill this verse. The last verse of Psalm 45, because of what's described in those middle 15 verses between 2 and 16, I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. So I give you an introduction to Messianic Psalms to fulfill my little tiny role in verse 17 of making his name to be remembered in all generations. The best commentary in the book of Psalms is Charles Spurgeon's Treasury of David. It's, it's in wonderful formatting online in several links. I've got them in the outline if you want to look at it later. Listen, if you tell me that it would be good for your soul and that you would use it, not just put it on a shelf, I, this church, will buy you a set of the Treasury of David. I may have some problems with Charles Spurgeon, but when it comes to the Psalms, they're very few and far between. And his spiritual, devotional love of Christ in that work is good. 
what's the first messianic psalm in the book of Psalms? It is the second psalm. You looked at it last evening. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. This this psalm is often quoted in the New Testament. Twice in Acts. Twice in Hebrews. Three times in Revelation. Just Psalm 2. Do you love Psalm 2? You know, it was hard today to organize our two assemblies because I would rather us read Psalm 2 than sing Crown Him with Many Crowns. But we sang Crown Him with Many Crowns earlier today. And I'm not even going to read the whole psalm to you because you read it last evening. I just want you to look at it. I want you to look at it on the pages of your King James Bible and realize that 1,000 years before the Son of David arrived on this planet, he had raised up a man that he put matter into his heart to write glorious things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to love the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and we want Him to have the preeminence in all things. And we want to preach nothing else but serving one common end, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We want to search the Scriptures and though we might find wisdom in Proverbs for our daily lives, we want to see the Lord Jesus Christ in the Messianic Psalms. I want to keep my emphasis with that pinnacle of knowledge and wisdom that we have in this church At the pinnacle is the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything feeds up to Him. Everything serves Him. He is the object. He is the one we want to love. And I am troubled. Only a couple of you know know my grief. We cannot lose sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang today how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. But if we distance ourselves from the assembly of God's saints, if we do not read our Bibles, if we watch television, if we play around with this world, the sweetness of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is diluted and diluted and diluted until it no longer burns within our breast as his words did to the two on the road to Emmaus. And it, it has to be our daily effort to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of us be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If we don't have spiritually minded, Christ-loving friends, if we don't have Christ-honoring music in our lives, if we don't get into the Psalms and meditate on Jesus Christ from time to time, I tell you about the Messianic Psalms. You know Psalm 2. The Romans, Pilate and Herod, and the Jewish leadership thought they would oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. Amen. The rest of the world doesn't even understand such words. They think that we're crazy. They think we're extreme. They think we're extra harsh. They think we're Neanderthal, anachronistic cavemen that don't know the God of love. This is the God of love. He loves his son, and they messed with his son. Do you understand? He, he is the God of love. And he loves his people. And when they mess with his people, he messes with them. As this psalm teaches so plainly. No efforts by any of them could touch the Lord Jesus Christ in any meaningful way. God laughed at his enemies and vexed them in his sore displeasure. And he put his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon my holy hill of Zion in verse 6 and gave the heathen to him for his inheritance. He rules the world. But among those that he rules, 
He has some sons and children far across the Atlantic Ocean from the Zion of the Middle East, and that's you and me today. And we should love the Lord Jesus Christ. Instructions given to all the kings of the earth in verses 10 through 12, and we should follow that advice ourselves. Though we be not kings, the advice applies to us even more, that we should serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, and kiss him. But best of all, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. A ferocious psalm ends with this sentence, blessed. The psalm is ferocious. The psalm is terrifying. To his enemies, we delight in it. But the last verse, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. How much do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ right now? What curtain will you step through with his name alone? What trial or tribulation will you take on cheerfully with his name alone? How sweet is the name of Jesus to you if you're a believer? You know much more could be said about Psalm 2, and it's been said before, and it will be said again. But let's look at some others. Look at Psalm 8. You already should know about the Lord Jesus Christ, unless I've been a failure as your pastor. Have you ever heard He is altogether lovely? There's so much competing for the affection and passion of our souls. We get so busy and so distracted. And the flesh that that surrounds our souls hates the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have been carnally minded, what what you're hearing from me is, I'm extreme. I'm not extreme. I'm not extreme enough. When you see him, you'll know I haven't been extreme enough. Psalm 8. I can hardly get past the first and the last verses. O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth with an exclamation point. O Lord, Jehovah, our ruling God. Look at the capital letters of that L-O-R-D and the small letters of the L-O-R-D. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, in verse 2, did Jesus Christ ever quote that? Indeed he did. But... When we come down to verse 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You know, we start to think that's us. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. God God did give us dominion over his creation in Genesis chapter 1. Thou hast put all things under his feet. But you know what happens when we go to Hebrews chapter 2? We go to Hebrews chapter 2, and this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. This is just an introduction to Messianic Psalms. I'm not detailing them for you right now. In Hebrews chapter 2, Paul quotes these verses, and he says, but we don't see all things under the feet of man. The end of verse 8. Do you know what the first words are of verse 9? Does somebody want to bless my soul? He is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He was put down at our level. In order to die, but God has raised him up far above all principalities and powers, princes, thrones, and dominion, and names that are named in this world and in the world to come. He's above them all. And he is the fulfillment of this because the Apostle Paul tells us, and you wouldn't know without Paul, 
those poor Jews that had never under, fully understood what this was describing here, because if you read this without Hebrews chapter 2, you would think that it's a zookeeper. Because they got a seal to toss a ball and an elephant to stand on one. That's what you would think. But you go to Hebrews chapter 2 and you find out that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who tasted death for every one of his brethren. In Hebrews 2, that's a messianic psalm. All I want to do is share some of these with you. Can you just look at verse 1 and verse 9 and does it excite you? Oh Lord, how... Our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Do you know his name? Do you know what the name Jesus means? If you don't know, then go type, a, then click on that little magnifying glass on our website and say the name of Jesus and see what you get on our website. Jehovah is the Savior. Amen. The name Jesus. Joshua in Hebrew. This is Joshua. Jehoshua. Jehovah. Yeshua, the Savior glory. Who's over all things? The Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 16. Peter used this powerfully on the day of Pentecost. He quotes verses 8 through 11. And then he explains, my brethren, my Jewish brethren, David's using the first person about him not seeing corruption. But is that true? Or do we have David's sepulcher just down the street and David's been corrupting for a thousand years? I suggest to you, he didn't suggest, that David was a prophet and he was speaking of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's raised him from the dead and we have seen him alive. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, he hath shed forth this, which ye both see and hear. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that that same Jesus is Lord and Christ in Acts chapter 2 coming out of Psalm 16 look at the Lord Jesus Christ I have set the Lord always before me verse 8 how could he go to the cross the way he did because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved he wasn't moved he never changed he never varied from the beginning of his life to the end there is one thing about the Lord Jesus Christ when he was 12 he said wist ye not to his parents that I must be about my father's business And what was his father's business but heading toward the cross? He set his face, as it were, to go to Jerusalem to die. Click again on that little magnifying glass and type in, ready to die. And see if you don't have 30 verses of Scripture from the New Testament that the Lord Jesus Christ his entire life knew that he came to die and was ready to die. The Samaritans didn't appreciate him because when he was in their villages, he was antsy and didn't want to be there because he needed to be on his way to the cross of Calvary. And James and John blessed their hearts, the sons of thunder, though they they were of a spirit that was too severe because they didn't fully understand they wanted to call fire down from heaven because they weren't honoring their master the way they should have. Do you, are you familiar with these? Jesus was on his way to the cross because of this. Therefore my heart is glad. How could he be glad going to the cross? And my glory rejoiceth. His his tongue was rejoicing in the Lord. That's what His glory is. It's called your glory because it's your tongue that is able to give glory to God. Your right hand can't give glory to God. Your left leg can't give glory to God. Your left ear can't like your tongue can. My flesh also shall rest in hope. My body is going to be in that tomb resting in hope. Are you willing and ready to die this way? Do you have such trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe on Him? Do you speak His name? Do you love Him? Do you pray 
and ask the Lord to reveal him more perfectly to you. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That is what Jesus Christ saw as he went to the cross. So he was able to endure the torture by Pilate and Herod's soldiers and hanging on that cross because he saw all this by faith. He believed. Do you believe the promises that have been made to you? Because the promises that have been made to you are equally great. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you believe that? Can you pass through that curtain of death, gasp for that last breath, not get it, and reach for the Lord Jesus Christ? He will be there. Peter once stepped over a gunnel of a ship and found himself sinking in the water as he looked at the waves and billows boisterous and began to sink. Lord, save me. There's that hand underneath of the everlasting arms. We ask our children to jump into our arms. Can you jump into the arms of God? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is there saying, that's one of mine. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my child. That's Psalm 16. Look at Psalm 40. I just want to introduce them to you. I'm hoping my prayer, my purpose is that you'll go home and by yourself or with your family get that outline or some of the five that we read last night and pull them up and just meditate slowly through them and enjoy them, savor them, delight in them and see through the written words on the page to the glory of the Son of God. Psalm 40. Some of you love the first few verses and so do I. It's a testimony of my life. It's a testimony of my brother Jerry's life who has shared this with you. But you know, when you get down to verse 6, it says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And these verses are quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. These are about the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice and offering. God God didn't care about the sacrifices and offerings that were made in the Old Testament. Yes, he required them from a ceremonial standpoint, but they didn't pay for a single sin. They had to be repeated over and over and over again. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was given an assignment from God by these words. It is written in the volume of the book. God isn't pleased with sacrifices and offering under the Old Testament. And so what does Jesus Christ say? I come. A body hast thou prepared me. I delight to do thy will, O God. You've given me this body. I will sacrifice this body on the cross of Calvary for my children. That the sacrifices and offerings of the Old Testament law could not save. Thus Psalm 40. Much more could be said because it goes on to say in verse 10 of Hebrews 10, after quoting this, for by one, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By the which will? God's will. God's will. Jesus Christ came to obey that will. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Ends up four verses later. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. Look at Psalm 41. Psalm 41. 
Verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Did Absalom do that to David? Did Adonijah do that to David? Did Joab do that to David? Did Abiathar do that to David? Indeed. But in John chapter 13, the Lord Jesus Christ says, This is Judas Iscariot, mine own familiar friend. But the words in whom I trusted are not in the New Testament, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me, because Jesus knew from the beginning who it was that believed on him and who was a devil. Do you know Psalm 45? I've preached it to you twice, about 2002, about 2010. I'd preach it again next Sunday if you said we didn't care. It was the third time in 13 years. <laughs> I love Psalm 45. I've already mentioned it. I won't ref- just look down through its words. What does verse 2 do to you? Thou art fairer than the children of men. Did you love singing fairest Lord Jesus? Do you love singing he's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul? I'm just introducing you to these. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Why read faster? Why read forward? Why read backward? Stop with the clause. Thou art fairer than the children of men. What men do I think are fair? By what measure do I think they are fair? Who has been fair in my life that that I delighted in? What men have I considered heroic? Who have I considered handsome? Forgive me, Lord God. Thou art fairer than the children of men. There's no one on earth to even be compared to thee. Grace is poured into thy lips. Where would you go to prove the graciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 4, when he's in his hometown synagogue, and he gets up and he reads Isaiah 61. And he closes the book. It tells us in detail. And he sits down. And he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your midst. How else can you say that the Bible was written about me because I am God's son in a gracious way? How can you do it? Jesus did it. And it says the audience marveled at the gracious words that came out of his lips. So grace is poured in thy lips. I'm about as gracious as a pit bull. I love the Lord Jesus Christ because grace is poured into his lips. He always knew the right thing to say. He always had a word for the weary. And you just gird thy sword. Verse 3. Majesty and prosperity and meekness and righteousness in thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things in verse 4. And it goes on and describes him and his deity. Verses 6 and 7. Thy throne, O God. God is being described here in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, His divine nature. These two verses, 6 and 7, are quoted in Hebrews 1 to prove the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God. He's a God-man. Of course He's fairer than the children of men. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the one mediator between God and men. And then He comes home, and He takes off His battle clothes, And he puts on sweet-smelling garments, smelling of myrrh, verse 8. And it's describing the company that's around him. And it's describing us as a daughter. 
to forget our own people in verse 10, and our father's house. Verse 11, So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. And what do you want to do in verse 11? Do you, want, do, you, do you think you have a need to read verse 12? Or can you tell the Lord from verse 11, how can you desire my beauty? Well, after you think about it for a while and tell him that it's totally improbable and highly impossible, without the gift of grace of eternal life, you get down into verses 13 and 14, and it's described as being brought to the king in raiment of needlework. This isn't about David or Solomon. I don't care what events they had in their lives that were similar. This is about a good matter in verse 1. This is about the king, and this is about the king that is God. Verses 6 and 7. This is the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Now that's 45. When was the last time you meditated a messianic psalm? A psalm about the Messiah. A psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 4. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. The New Testament tells us that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was hated without a cause. Verse 8. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Did Jesus' brethren believe on him? No. When did they finally believe on him, his brothers? When he rose from the dead. When you go to Acts chapter 1, it says that the apostles were in the upper room, women, and the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. James is called the brother of our Lord because they were converted later, but not during his life, not during his 33 and a half years, And so verse 8 is fulfilled. Verse 9, when was it fulfilled? For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. When he drove the money changers out of the temple. All this in Psalm 69. Look at verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27. Verse 25, let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents applied to Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1 and verse 20. This is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm when you read through it. And I I have prepared an outline for you because I'm your servant. There'll be an outline to help you look at a Psalm 69 and see some of these. Look up their New Testament counterparts that show the fulfillment and just delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Psalm 89. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy great faithfulness to all generations. We sing that from verse 1. Verse 3 says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. That's the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of that. Because it was Solomon, then it was Rehoboam, then it was Abijah, and then it was others, then it was the Lord Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of this. He says in verse 19, Thou spakest in vision to thy holy one and saidst, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. And you say, well, that has to be David because he's named David. But I'm going to give you a string of verses, not right now, but in the outline that show you in in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, Jesus Christ is called David. 
Because when you go on and read past that verse about the things that God is going to do with this king, it doesn't apply to David or Solomon. It reaches higher than that. There was an imperfect, temporary, partial fulfillment in David and Solomon, but not the full fulfillment that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to Psalm 91, it says that he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And who would have had charge, who would have been charged with angels to keep him more than the Lord Jesus Christ? The devil knew it. And Psalm 91 even has a quotation applied in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 to the Lord Jesus. Look at Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Once you see the quotation that's made in Hebrews chapter 1, then you can go back and see other things in the bulk of this chapter that are about the salvation of the Gentiles and God's mercy toward them and the nations and the generation that's going to be coming. But look at verse 25. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Sounds like it's talking about God. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. Sounds like God changing the universe, which is going to take place very soon with a new heaven and a new earth. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Verse 27. Those three verses are quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 as proof of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Messianic Psalms. I know you all love Psalm 110. Is there anything in Psalm 110? The Lord said unto my Lord. I'm skipping over Psalm 109, which in verse 8 says, Let his days be few, and let another take his office. For those of you that don't care very much about the Lord Jesus Christ today, and you're too busy, and there's too many other tantalizing things in life, this is about Judas Iscariot. And if you really want to get scared and you have a sober mind at all, read verses 1-20 through of Psalm 109 and understand it about Judas Iscariot who did not live for the Lord Jesus Christ and see what Jesus Christ had to say about him and about his family, about his soul and about his sins. It's terrifying language. And rightly so for what that man did to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Psalm 110, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Did the Lord Jesus get some mileage out of that first verse with the Pharisees? Oh, he did. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in verse 3. Is that true? Has he made us willing in the day of his power? But you know, we have his kingship in verses 1 through 3. The Lord said unto my Lord. David is admitting Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is his Lord, his King. Verses 1 through 3, his kingship. Verses 4 through 7, or verses 4 through, verse, verse, verse 4, his priesthood. The priesthood of Melchizedek. The Lord hath sworn. Now notice the Lord said unto David's Lord Jesus in verse 1. And then in verse 4, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That wasn't David. That wasn't Solomon. That wasn't Aaron. That wasn't Abiathar. That wasn't Zadok. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul makes great mileage of this in the book of Hebrews, quoting this and referring to it over and over and over again. Because the priesthood of the Old Testament went away and there was a new priesthood, a king priest, combining the tribes, I mean, it was all out of Judah, but combining the roles of king and priest. Under the Old Testament, the kings came out of Judah, the priests came out of Levi, but in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ 
one great high priest. He also is king. And do you know how great of a king and priest he is? He has made you and me kings and priests. We're kings because we shall reign on the earth. We are priests because we can go directly into the presence of God by the Lord Jesus Christ. All in Psalm 110. Let's come back to Psalm 22. Psalm 118 is another one of the chief messianic psalms, but let's come back to 22 very briefly before we sing a couple songs and come to the Lord's table. It is true that in Matthew chapter 27 and Mark 15, you can read about Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this psalm starts out with those words, so you are immediately told this is a messianic psalm. But when you keep reading for the next 22 verses, you have the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ during his crucifixion. There is nothing like it in the New Testament. Verse 6. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. But thou art He that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. Here is the man Christ Jesus in the tortures and agonies of Gethsemane, His trial and His crucifixion, you have his heart through David, his father, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 22 is worthy of your time. Right. Psalm 22 will help you understand why Paul would say, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the most magnificent display of affection between a father and a son and the son begging the father for mercy while he undergoes the father's will of hanging on the cross for you and me. He mentions the bulls in verse 12 that have compassed him. Forget that little game in Spain. They're all prepared. They're all hemmed in. It's in one direction. It's down a street. They can't get solid footing. These bulls are all around them in 360 degrees on the cross of Calvary. They gaped upon me with their mouths. Verse 13. As a ravening and a roaring lion, I've preached this clause by clause and phrase by phrase to you in the past. You can go read it or hear it again. The Lord Jesus said he was poured out like water in verse 14. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Dogs have compassed me. I may tell all my bones, verse 17, because he's naked. They're dividing his garments. He's begging God not to be far from him. He's begging God to deliver his soul his darling from the power of the dog and to be saved from the lion's mouth. And then he says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And the Lord Jesus Christ did that. For the Lord did hear him, did deliver him, and did raise him from the dead. These are the Messianic Psalms. My family has an advantage over you right now. Certain members of my family have a bigger advantage. 
Do you see the blood pooling in the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ as he hangs on the cross? Are his physical movements less and less? Is his skin tone losing its ruddiness? Is he heaving harder for air because he's hanging on a cross that is crushing his diaphragm? He is not lying flat in a bed. His chest is heaving and his head is lifting up and the ashen gray color of death takes over his body and he lays down his life and gives up the ghost and says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The God that forsook him in verse 1 He addressed and said, Receive my spirit. And he knew where he was going because for the joy that was set before him, his heart was glad, his glory was rejoicing, and he could tell the thief, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, though that separation between God and him was like nothing he had ever experienced before. He was with the thief that day. In paradise. Those of you who witnessed with me. And those of you who have witnessed it at other times with other persons. I beg you to consider the reality of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask yourself how much you love him. And will you keep his words. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And may the Lord bless even more. Your meditation. Your musing, your reading, your thinking, your praying, and your praising the Lord from his messianic psalms that he gave us. Amen. Amen.